0: Hello and welcome to the episode you guys all voted for, Neuromancer. It's happening 1985, though that was the poll, in case you forgot, and it won an edge out Ender's game a little bit, and in like the real Hugo and Nebula poll, which these were based off of, Neuromancer won both of those as well, so obviously there's something to it, and We've just resigned ourselves to using the Amazon summaries for these things. So, the Matrix is a world within the world. A global consciousness, hallucination, the representation of every byte of data in cyberspace. Case had been the sharpest data thief in the business until eventual former employees cripples his nervous system. But now a new and very mysterious employee recruits him for a last chance run. The target? An unthinkable, powerful artificial intelligence orbiting Earth in service of the sinister Tessier-Ashpool business clan. With a dead man riding shotgun and Molly, mirror-eyed street samurai, to watch his back, Case embarks on an adventure that ups the ante on the entire genre of fiction. So, it was a great read, and we are joined by R.S. Belchior, author of Six Conterra, which Mass Market Paperback is going to be back, coming out March 25th, which you could check out. And... I want to thank—we finally got our first iTunes review, which is super awesome from XXX Talkaholic XXX, who gave us a five-star review, A plus plus new way to enjoy the book. Uh, she says in her review, she or she or he—I'm sorry, I should—I don't actually know, she or he says that it's great listening to the podcast because then you could review the book at your own leisure, and with the irregular the irregularity of the times that our podcast comes out. You could do it at your own leisure, that's for sure. Although, as discussed at the end of the episode with Tiffany, I'm hoping to change that and our irregularity will become slightly more regular. We're going to get more fiber in our system and we're going to just tag tackle it. So enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you for joining us and hit that music Hello, welcome to episode 7 of Nimbus Magnifica, and I am joined, as always, by my faithful cohort, Tiffany. How are you doing tonight? I am doing excellent. How are you? I'm doing great. And you know, we have another returning guest. We do indeed. Yes. Author Rod Beltor. I think I said that right this time, I hope. Repeat, repeat offender. Yes, I've been here before. The (laughs) best kind of offender. yes, yes. (laughs) Well, is that is that true? I, mean, I guess it could be in some in some capacity. So
1: in our <laughs> case, yes.
0: In the i in Thank you this for instance. having me back. Thank you for coming. Um, <laughs> I'm okay. So I was I was going through. I was on the tour.com website. And I saw a list, of, I, there was, like, new releases, and I, like, clicked on it, and I was like, Brandon Sanderson's uh, new book is coming out, uh, Firefighter or something, or, so, I forget the name of it, now I feel it, now I, I was, I, was, I, was, <laughs> and I was, reading. I was reading, I was, like, going through the list of new books, and it was, there was lots of big name authors, and then I saw the Six-Gun paperback. And there's and, me
2: too! And I was
0: like, what? <laughs> You're included? I know him!
2: I know yeah, him! That- and then there's that schmuck, Rod. Hi.
0: So, uh, so I know do, him. Hey. Do do most books go hardcover to paperback, or is it? or is there a certain sales threshold that has to be met for that to actually happen? Or like, I I'm just curious. Like, is that a guaranteed thing or not quite?
2: Um, my understanding, and I'm a layman, so I'm I'm kind of learning this as I go. But not everybody gets a hardcover. Um, and not everybody gets a paperback. I think sales drive some of it. If the if the first, you know, they put out the hardcover, which is kind of the initial buy, and if it does well and does well enough, they will go back and do a, a mass market, which is what uh, Six Gun is coming out as. Uh, Six Gun Tarot comes out the 25th of March. So that's going to be like everywhere. Hopefully, it'll be like an airport, bookstores, and Walmart, bus stations, and I don't know, maybe they'll give give them out to kids and happy meals. Who knows? Hey, that'd be so, that'd be if you could if you could convince McDonald's to buy your book, think oh God.
0: Tor tour. Like, <laughs> I feel like Tor already pays you, but Tor would be paying to pay you. Like, like
2: I, I, I I could design some uh six gun tarot uh happy meal toys for them that I that, think would be That'd be legit. Very you, exciting.
1: I think um now I I remember being in college and it took I think years like years for the Da Vinci code to come out in paperback like years like like yeah. multiple years and I think they did it on purpose because people were willing to spend that 20 bucks for that hardcover Egg, book
2: ex- exactly I mean it, it, you, it's like six, the the six kind paperback of paperback's going to be like 9.99 before you get it on like Amazon or or you know any of the online places you can buy it from the hardcover was like 20 Twenty five ninety nine. So, they're gonna sell that hardcover as long as they can. Uh, and like Dan Brown, it sold a, baz- a bajillion books, I think. So, uh,
1: I, I remember reading this article about like the top paid authors. And at the time, his net worth, he had only written four books at the time: um, Da Vinci Code, um, Angels and Demons, The Digital Fortress, and Deception uh-huh. Point. And he had mm-hmm. like $87 million. And I was like, what? Yeah. What? That's like, I mean, you think, you see these people like him and you see J.K. Rowling and you see John Grisham. He's big. He's from around where I live. And so he's really big here. And they're making all this money and having all these movies and stuff. And you're like, I'm going to be a writer and make a ton of money. And then you try and
2: realize <laughs> that that's, from what I hear, now I'm Then I'm, the I'm cold no reality <laughs> slaps you upside the head. Cold oh, um, truth. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I I am kind of at the start of my writing career and I got to admit, uh, I seem to have gotten pretty lucky. I think my first book has, uh, has sold pretty well and well enough for me to, to, to sell some more books. I've had a lot of writers who do this, have done this for years and for decades, basically say, you know, you kind of live or die by your catalog. So, you know, if you have a lot of books out, you're making royalties off your books. And if they're good, you know, if they're well-selling books, they, they do well and they stay in print. That's, that's how you make a living. I I really have not figured out there's some kind of magic formula for, uh you know, somebody uh, who you've never heard of before who suddenly sells like, you know, three books and makes like, you know, $20 million or something. I, I don't know what, how that works exactly. I, other than I, I assume that the, the, the editors and folks are just like saying, this is going to, this is gonna make a ton of money, so we should we should kind of lock them in now. And uh, or they have really like you know <laughs> some of these agents, some of the, some of the uh, literary agencies are very hardcore. I mean they they pitch this stuff to the to the uh, publishers and they kind of lock their their people in with. Uh, with that kind of, you know, kind of a deal, but yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd love, I'd love something like if Tor is listening in, uh, you know, please, by all means, feel free to, yes, I know, believe every huge, major
0: publisher you know, listens to Nimbus Magnifica.
2: I'm fairly positive of this fact. Fairly. Agreed. Well, I've done, you know, I've done all I can to, to help that along. So, you know, I, uh, we,
0: we sincerely I, appreciate I, that. Have, have you heard any news <laughs> about the, uh, audiobook rights for six gun Terra? Not
2: yet. That's, that's one of the things is six gun, was my first book and first contract uh so the initial rights to just about everything for six gun tarot are locked in to to tor so they make those kind of deals my agent really can't get up between uh tor and you know and a third party so but the nice thing is is as, as you know as as I roll along here, if I keep can, you know, keep on selling books and keep on working with Tor is eventually we can negotiate rights back so I could maybe get rights back for an audio book and then my agent can go and shop that to you know, one of the companies that does that stuff. But uh, I'm hoping if the paperback does well that they'll want to do an audio book too. That would be, I mean, so, I mean, be so Audible cool. is
0: hitting and, hard with the advertising circuit. A lot of podcasts that I listen to are Audible sponsored. So you like... Yes. I, like, oh it, my gosh! Yes. I know it's them and Squarespace. I'm like I can't escape them, and of course I become an Audible subscriber <laughs> and I contemplate Squarespace. So I suppose it's actually effective.
1: I actually use
0: actually Squarespace
1: for my personal website. So if you want to check it out, you can see. Uh, tiffanylangston.com for anybody who cares. Uh, but I did it because I kept hearing the, um, you know, almost every podcast that I listen to is sponsored by Squarespace. And I'm like it's so easy and it, you know, adapts to whatever device that you're on and it's but, so great. Said, as as, right. as a
0: user who is not sponsored by Squarespace, do you agree with the with the spiel?
1: I do. So I came from my old, old website, uh, was on WordPress and it was on to, 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 not get too technical. There's WordPress.com sites and WordPress.org sites. If you yeah, go I to WordPress.org, um, you host it yourself and there's a lot more flexibility. If you use WordPress.com, um, th- it's very stringent. There's only so much you can do and the templates aren't that great. Unless you want to spend a hundred or $200 to buy templates. And, and I'm fine. I'm fine with, you know, buying, having some template, some you know, prettier templates that that cost money. That's fine, but if you're you don't have at least a couple of decent free ones, that kind of sucks. Um, and so it took a couple, about three days worth of work to move because I had a lot of content. Um, and so I played with templates and things like that. But I do find it actually very easy. There's a lot of drag and drop that you can do. Um, I use my site, and it, it also just depends on what you use your site for. There are some people who use it for commerce, right? Like they're selling stuff, and they have like a, a commerce mm-hmm. platform and things that was not available on WordPress.com. I just use it really as sort of a a portfolio you know it has my writing samples my video work my social media accounts and things like that just for general and it works really beautifully and it's really easy to to update and organize Um, the only thing that I don't particularly care about care for is the fact that if you don't host your blog there's no mobile application you have to do everything this desktop if you do a blog and you're you can write blog posts mobily but you can't sort of up you can you can't update your website outside of uh outside of an internet browser that's really the only problem that I have with it and they have 24-hour support I know because I called some guy at like two o'clock in the morning one day and somebody oh, answered and they and we got my problem fixed so I
0: I, I hear that the square City's people are the they're called the care bear center <laughs> that's what I've heard I've heard that <laughs> So so, but I, li- yeah, no,
1: I do. I, I I like Squarespace a lot. I'm thinking about moving my blog over to Squarespace as well. It just will take a lot of work because it's on TypePad right now, and that sucks too. But that's the story for another day.
0: But uh, so so, are we doing? Is Nimbus Magnifica doing the reverse of many websites where they get sponsored by Squarespace and then they talk about it? We are talking <laughs> about Squarespace in hopes to get sponsored. Is that what's happening? That's right.
1: Squarespace, like call us because I am a satisfied customer.
0: We we are available and. Will will uh, like right now? Nimbus <laughs> nimbusmagnifica.wordpress.com is on a WordPress site. Boo. But no, I'm but, just kidding. But that could cha- that can change with a quick and easy sponsorship. Quick, so quick. I so will. I will say. So I, I this, use, though. I use you, WordPress for mine. Yeah.
1: If you sign up for uh, a year with um a years with Squarespace, you get a free domain name. So nimbusmagnifica.com might just be around the corner.
2: Oh, very cool! Very exciting. Oh, see, someone someone just grabbed it. As soon as you said that,
0: But it's not this the podcast isn't even out yet. <laughs> How's that possible? Oh. Exactly. Who broke I into think, our hangout? I don't know. I don't know how
2: they do that, so it's
0: amazing. <laughs> so, um what what else do you have exciting going on in your life, Rod? I, I, I know you told me about stuff that you couldn't talk about, but talk about stuff you can talk about.
2: Well, I, I got some good news Friday. Uh I have a uh, a blog myself. Uh, it's on WordPress, uh, but you know, I, I have to check out this other place. But uh it's uh, com, and I'll be posting it on there and posting it on Facebook. But I got some good news Friday uh, about some work related stuff, some book related stuff. Waiting for some more details on that before I spill, but that's kind of exciting. Mass market paperback for uh the Six Gun Tarot comes out March 25th. Uh it should be like everywhere that you can find paperbacks and, uh, very excited about that. would be pretty awesome. And then the sequel to Six-Gun Tarot, which is uh, called The Shotgun Arcana, uh, is gonna be coming out in October. I think early October, like October 7th, I believe. And that'll be out in hardcover. That's, uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, I just, uh, Edward and I were both talking about moving. We, we just, I just got through a move, and I think he just got through a move, so, uh, that's, uh, always a always a joy. And, uh, <laughs> But uh, that's pretty much uh, all that's been going on with me. That's, I've been I mean, uh, I mean, wandering on the side of the highway it's, it's, and collecting you know tin cans in a pl- plastic bag and you know uh, just sort of moseying along. And I'm joking, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but that's that's pretty much it.
0: There, there's more going on, but like you have you have Shotgun Arcana coming out, and you have like I don't know I don't I don't know if you're allowed to talk about the other ones, but but that but you're really oh um,
2: actually you're. You're busy. Oh actually I got a couple of couple of anthologies that, that want me to uh do some stuff with them and uh uh nothing uh I, I I just have been told I'm gonna be getting some offers to do some anthology stuff. Oh that's awesome. Uh, is it is it gonna nice be people.
0: Like, are they themed like steampunk themed or what or is there or yeah, what's that? What's going on? I, the...
2: One of them is, uh, yeah, you know, I don't want to jinx it and I, and I don't want to sit there and say, oh, I'm going to be in this anthology when I'm um, I do have a story coming out in an anthology called uh, Neverland's Library, which is put out by uh, some wonderful people, a fellow by the name of Roger Bellini and uh, Rebecca. I'm trying to remember Rebecca's. Shoot me for not remembering her last name. But uh, these folks uh, have put together an amazing fantasy anthology. Well, it's not even fantasy. Yeah, it's fantasy anthology, but it's uh, it, it's basically having to do with uh, uh, kind of general, general fantasy. It, pretty much anything goes. Uh, I got to do a really cool kind of a take on a vampire story for that, which is called An Equity in Dust. And I think that comes out in March, if I'm not mistaken. And then um, the other two anthologies are not – not set in stone yet so i'm gonna kind of wait to say anything about them but yeah i enjoy doing short story stuff and uh it's kind of cool to do some anthology things so hoping to get to do some more of that in between doing doing novels so
0: very awesome that's See, all your, your career is taking that's off, the news from Rod. The... you're like <laughs> i i hope so i really hope so <laughs> Or 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 you're doing a very nice. good job at appearing like it's taking off which is
2: equally as important Well, you know appearances are appearances are very very important so you know uh i, ho- I hope you're right i really do <laughs> that would make me very happy i want to stay busy as much writing as i can get in i want to get in
0: yeah you're doing the right stuff that's very exciting uh, so let's let's dive into the 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 fan voted book neuromancer that was the yeah love it which which is a great – which was, which so was now, very interesting reading it. Wait, no. Can
1: you tell me what your experience me? was with Neuromancer when you read it the first time?
2: Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm curious. Actually, yes. Yeah. You know, it's kind of – can I ask you guys a question? How how old are you two?
1: I turned if, if, 30 I hate to ask a lady,
2: in May. Oh. Oh, goodness. 30. Oh, my 30. goodness.
1: 29.
2: Um, 29. 29. I, I'm 25. I, I, sh- I should never ask a lady – I, Twenty-five and thirty. I should never ask a lady her age. I apologize. I I really shouldn't have done that, but um, it's okay. <laughs> I just was curious because, because I I you, I really was thinking about this a lot today because I you know I kind of went back through and dug out my old you know beat up copy of the paperback for Neuromancer and uh and reread it as as best I could and kind of skimmed it more than reread it completely, but I had read it like literally probably ten times. This book was so influential. To a certain certain period of time, I was just starting college at Virginia uh, Commonwealth University, and found Neuromancer at a bookstore, and it blew my mind. It was the first time. Basically, uh, one of my uh, one of my roommates in college, I had two film major roommates, and one of them was also like a computer geek, and he was really getting into Apple computers, and Apple had this graphic, you know, interface. This this really intuitive you know, interface, which now, you know, basically Windows and everything else has, you know, but, you know, prior to this computing was, you know, you, you typed in backslashes and, and, you know, streams of, you know, strings of code and stuff like this to, to make a lot of things happen. And the, the Apple interface was, you know, you, you clicked on this little icon and you moved it around to somewhere else on the screen, or you double clicked on it, or you moved the little icon to the trash can. There was a little trash can. That was really revolutionary, and William Gibson wrote this amazing book. He, and and it's really a noir. It's 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 a noir caper. Uh, it it's you know it has all the elements of kind of the classic uh, kind of you know uh, you have your your kind of hard you know hard bitten uh, world weary narrator. Uh, who's, who's sort of your, your gateway character, and you have all of these shady characters they're dealing with in the underworld, and, and then you have this big mission, this big heist to do. But the descriptions of cyberspace, which he was the first guy to use the word cyberspace, he was uh, the, f- the first person to kind of postulate, as far as I know, I could be wrong, but as far as in my experience, he was the first writer I had ever encountered to discuss uh, virtual reality, and, uh, and it's just kind of this whole sort of interface between the human mind and a computer. I know Rudy Rucker was doing some of the same kind of stuff around the same time. But And and of course, you know, Philip K. Dick had been doing some of this stuff. And um, uh, Alfred Bester had actually kind of played around with it a little bit, too. So I re- it really blew my mind. And I loved his prose style. And I have to be honest, uh, William Gibson's style of prose influenced me immensely when I started writing the, the first line in the book is like, you know, the sky over the airport was like the color of a television turned to a dead channel. And it's just, I, yeah, I can still remember that. That stuck with me. It was such powerful imagery. And, uh, uh, I loved, I loved the book. I really, I'm I'm a big fan of it. And I think that, uh, even though, you know, he didn't, he didn't see things like cell phones, he, uh, he, you know, he talked about cellular modems and things like that, but he never really envisioned cell phones. And you know, and now looking back, some of it's kind of dated. A lot of the cyberpunk movement, if you read it now, you have to kind of, you know, put your tongue to your cheek a little bit. But um, I really enjoyed it, and I mean, it, it was a huge influence on me, um, because it really felt like at the time he had tapped into some of what the future was going to be like. And that's what really good science fiction always does is, you know, it's, it's, it's like a crystal ball. It's predicting what's heading, heading our way. I really enjoyed it a lot. And I, and I read a lot of his other stuff too. He has short story collections and a couple more novels. I actually haven't read a lot of Gibson's new stuff, the stuff he's done in, uh, uh you know in the recent years which is more kind of it's still kind of techno techno thriller stuff and it's a little more grounded in, in uh the real world i guess than, than the cyberpunk stuff some of his short stories and and especially neuromancer I, I just was hugely influential on me and a lot of my my geek friends so and that's my book report Yes. No,
1: and I, I think that that's actually an excellent point, because my, I really, really wish that I had been able to read this book before, like, The Matrix came out, like, the movie, because I exactly. feel like it, there yeah. was, like, some person, like, I kept thinking, I, I swear, when I was imagining what's happening in this book, I kept imagining Keanu Reeves, and he was hosting one of those Tempur-Pedic mattress infomercials. Like, that is what every time they talked about their like memory foam, and it's like, what and them plugging into the matrix. Yeah. I'm like, what is going on here? And so, I feel like culturally, it we read
0: a lot different now as it did maybe would have 20, 30 years ago when it came reading it now. I mean, obviously, I know it came out before the matrix, but it feels like. I don't know. It just the Matrix stole so much from this book. It did like I
1: had I went back and read the wiki for the Matrix to see if this was one of like the pieces of source material and it wasn't and I was shocked because there's so oh. much in yeah. it that I feel it borrows from a lot of those a lot of those. Um, I mean like there's some another, like some of the names are another... like d-
0: direct
2: stolen, I swear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean and and you know, like I said, that's why I was curious about your age is because you know, this this thing came out and it blew my mind. I mean, it really did. When I mean, I was 20, I think, when I read it, which you know, what's, what's that, 26 years ago? Good lord! And it and it just really blew my mind because a lot of the concepts that you know, and actually when the Matrix came out, it it blew me away too because I didn't know what to expect with it. But um, there's also another source for uh, stuff in the Matrix that uh, the Matrix movies that they I don't think they credit. They might. But um, there's a comic book series by a guy named Grant Morrison. Uh, he's a Scottish writer. He writes really awesome, mind-bending, trippy stuff. And he did this series called The Invisibles, which is my favorite comic book series ever. Um, and there was actually some discussion, I think, of a, of a possible lawsuit. Because some of the stuff in The Matrix was very similar to stuff in The Invisibles. But yeah, I mean, it, it's when you read it now, and I, you know, I was looking back at it, it, it's we, we're so used to so much of this stuff now because it's kind of become part of the culture and come, 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 come part of our, our vocabulary. I mean, I mean, that was the first book – Neuromancer was the first book I ever read that ever discussed cyberspace. And uh, it was totally a, a new concept, and it, it just blew my mind. So I, I, I understand what you're saying because it's like if you had read it before you had seen The Matrix or, or even heard of The Matrix, it would have probably given you an entirely different perspective on it.
1: Yeah, I do. I think – I was thinking back to kind of um, when we talked about Princess of Mars and when you think about how old that book is and some of kind of – especially when we're talking about like the, the flying machines and, and how he must have had so much sort of forethought. I feel like this is the same, but because it's not as far removed – it was really difficult for me personally to sort of do. And The Matrix is one of my favorite movies ever. And that also doesn't help to divorce what I know to really, I think, appreciate what this was and the effect that it had back when it was originally written and
0: released. The version I had was from the Audible. And they were talking about how the the line about cyberspace is a worldwide uh, gl- or a global con- like unconscious hallucination that 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 consensual hallucination yeah yes that millions of people connect to daily i'm like oh god like like that like that line doesn't seem that doesn't seem profound to us because it's true because it's the truth but before it was true
2: it it's crazy that exactly that, that line back when i read it when i was going to going to college i remember you know my one of my roommates he was a computer guy and he you know hung out in the computer lab he actually worked in the computer lab so we got to play on the computers a lot this was years before i downloaded a web browser and the web browser was called like wall crawler i think was what it was called it was it was like the first time i ever like you know got on the internet and uh, before this is all like bulletin boards and stuff like that it was all local kind of local uh, little back alleys of uh, kind of the internet so i mean he really was very very ahead of his time, you know, as far as a lot predicting a lot of this stuff. But, I can, and uh, I can
1: definitely see that.
2: I was gonna
0: rewatch the Matrix so it was like I need to rewatch the Matrix, but I didn't have I time. was
1: going to too and I didn't either, yeah.
0: Yeah but but you but you know you, you said you know the Matrix pretty well, correct? Um yeah yeah, I guess so well instead of instead of focusing on what was the most what what crossover there was, I'm I wanna ask you what is what was the biggest difference if you can or just a difference that you could Throw, throw out there to focus on um, the opposite perspective.
1: Okay, I th- <laughs> I really think that the time spent not being plugged in, I think was probably a lot more fleshed out. In Neuromancer, than it is at least in the first Matrix movie, In the second one, and the third, one, they sort of build on those relationships that Neo is having with you know the other characters and stuff. But I think in the first one, it's really all about like being in the world. So I actually really enjoyed the parts where they're not near the beginning, where he can't plug in, and I think that's where to me the book is actually the strongest.
2: Yeah, I mean, the and a lot of this stuff. I don't know if Gibson. What you know traveled a lot or not? I really I, I know a little bit about his background. He's actually from Wytheville, Virginia, originally, which is right around the corner from me. You know, Chippa City. He, you have the Coffin Hotels, which they have in Japan. They, they I don't know if they're as popular now as they were back in the 80s, but they had these huge, you know, Whoa, tube metal, were you, like, you know, kind of cocoon, yeah. yeah. Well, you could just go and crash, you know, and they usually were near, near the airports, and it was basically just someplace you could go and crash for a few hours in between your flights, or you've got a like a layover or something like that. And I mean, he pulled. There's enough realism. And I mean, there's enough things he pulled out that, you know, like these little the the cheap little polymer plastic guns that, you know, which have like, you know, which they, they have like the market with the, the, the little polymer guns would have like the little animated anime characters on the, the handles of them or whatever, you know, just stuff like that, that you could actually see, you know, some little third world marketplace where you'd have stuff like that in, in little baskets and stuff to get. Get purchased. So, I love his description. I really do. And like I said, he's he's very he's very gritty. He's very noir. He just throws in enough detail that you really do kind of fall into that world. You get very kind of a, it's very immersive. One of the things I was going to mention is, uh, he has a contemporary, uh, Neil Stevenson has done Kryptonomicon, uh, and I forget what else he's done. He's done a lot of cool stuff, but he wrote Snow Crash. Which was also part of the cyber park, cyberpunk genre, and uh, him and Gibson have some similar—they uh, they have some similar you know, ideas about how uh, cyberspace interacts with uh, with human consciousness and kind of like with deep structures in the brain. Cyberspace and kind of like you know jacking into into cyberspace is kind of like an evolutionary process for for humans. Um, very cool stuff and if you read more of Gibson's stuff he likes to put a lot of voodoo mythology in with his in with his cyberspace stuff he he's really into the whole concept of like the loas the you know possessing spirits and stuff like that as being sort of like the um like the program that is in the the uh, it's in neuromancer the uh the dixie flatline the you know the 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 old hacker that they've managed to save his brain on a on a disc or something, basically. He, he kind of plays around with that in some of his other stuff, talking about how, you know, basically people, you know, what what is somebody, if, if someone dies and you download their brain, is that really them or is that just a copy of them? You know, and it, it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of an interesting concept and he and he plays with it in Neuromancer some and then he plays with it a lot more in like Burning Chrome and uh Count Zero and a couple of the other books he did.
0: Very cool. Uh I was gonna ask Tiffany there was yeah. a, there was there was a shout out to Memphis multiple times in the book.
1: I saw that I was like wait, wait, yeah. wait. <laughs> I was actually, I was going to ask someone who knew more or better than I did. Was there something going, you know, I've, I've lived in the city now for a little bit over seven years, but I'm not, by no means a, a an expert, at least historically. Was there something interesting about Memphis in the 80s that, like, made him want to, like, keep bringing it up? I was, I was, I was like, what is this?
2: I, I think he might have lived there, maybe. I'm not sure. I I, I got the I idea a lot up. of times there was this stuff that liked you know he kind of dug and, and plus i think he wanted to try to use cities other than you know kind of like you know new york la stuff like that i didn't think he wanted to do that stuff so but yeah yeah it's cool he he dug he, he digs on memphis in the book quite a bit so <laughs> kind of awesome i
0: thought there was some really awesome stuff like i don't know like th- this was such a i could see why it was such a significant work william Gibson postulated with Cheapest City, like the purpose of cheapest City wasn't for the people who actually live there. It's for it's a playground for these type of questionable technological toys so they could work out the kinks so that other people that they could be available for mass market to everyone else eventually. I'm like
2: like that's that's brilliant. I don't know. That's just that's stuff it, that was Well, it, it's it's and actually you, you hit on something there too, that he was again very kind of ahead of his time on is the whole concept of people were citizens of corporations. They, that you know, which again is a very uh, Japanese uh, concept in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, well, and and still is the, the zabatsu. You know, the the kind of the, the corporate family. And so you had people, you know, literally you had cities like 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 Chiba, where you know you, you you didn't. It wasn't part of a certain country or nation or something. It was kind of like a like a test marketing. Zone, (laughs) sort of. But I mean, in some of the other books, they talk about, you know, there are like mercenary armies that are basically owned by corporations. So corporations end up becoming almost like like nations under themselves and people and actually stevenson does some of that in uh, in snow crash too you have you know corporate neighborhoods where you you know if you work for this company you get to go live in this nice protected walled little fortress you know you know community uh and and you have private corporate security that keeps you safe and instead of having a police force and stuff like that
0: i, I haven't read stone crash but uh, have you read uh player ready player one because Whenever when when I was reading Ready Player One, lots of people were saying like this is the this is like another Snow Crash is what people were calling it.
2: I haven't read that one. I've actually that sounds kind of cool. Uh, I, Snow Crash was very was very cool. I I enjoyed it a lot. And I'll have to check that one out. I I haven't read a lot of Cyberpunk in a long time. It's it's almost like I don't know. It, it's it's retro fiction now. It's kind of <laughs> you know. It's it's uh, it was so edgy at the time. And like I said, some of it hasn't. Some of it hasn't like aged as well as other stuff um, but it, it
0: was so edgy that it became reality in in many ways like yeah like yeah that's that's all there is to it, <laughs> it just, <laughs> like it doesn't I mean, seem edgy because because you could like you could be out you could be lost in the middle of nowhere and type in your phone where am i and then it tells you
2: yeah well and, uh ee e. doc smith was this guy who uh wrote uh the Lensman uh books and he wrote the skylark of space books back in like the th- Thirties, thirties, forties, fifties. And if you read them now, they're they're kind of hokey. I mean, because he he has a lot of stuff in there that's very cliche. But the thing is, is you have to remember is when he was writing them initially, it wasn't cliche. He was the first guy to you know, Star Wars and Star Trek really owe a lot of their their kind of their world building, their their universe to Doc Smith. And now if you read his stuff, it's like, oh, this is kind of yeah, hokey. Well, but- it
0: feels stale because it's been built upon from there, but it was exactly. a necessary step to climb the ladder.
2: Yes. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and it's the same kind of thing with Neuromancer. It's like some of it um, seems a little, you know, it, it's like you read it now and it's like, okay, what's the big deal about this? But, you know, then it's like if you jumped back in time to when it came out, he was predicting all this stuff that we've seen a lot of it happen, you know, and, and sometimes it's actually what we have in reality has gone so far beyond what he was predicting on some things that uh, it's it's pretty wild. I, I, it's, it's still, I think Neuromancer holds up pretty well. Um, I actually read something on. I was looking up something about Neuromancer today, and they said that it had been put on a list of like the top hundred greatest novels since like the 1920s or something. Um, I'm not yeah. sure who did that, but mm. I mean, just just because it was very, you know, prescient, it, it, they they seemed to kind of know what they were doing, uh, or he seemed to, you know, kind of tap into something there that that a lot of people, you know, it, it was he kind of, basically it came out right at the kind of the edge of the beginning of the internet and all of, and and basically, uh, the kind of the the computer age. I mean, it, it really is when computers were just starting to become something that was in our homes and stuff like that. And, uh, it's a very cool book. I, I actually, I'm really glad you guys asked me to, to hang and do this because I, it gave me a chance to read it again and I really enjoyed it. I'm going to, I'm going to actually reread some of his other stuff too. Um, and maybe pick up some of his newer stuff. Cause his new stuff is supposed to be really good as well. Um, it's not a science fiction. It's a little more kind of like near future suspense kind of. Um. I, I've
0: heard, I've heard many good things about the difference engine.
2: So... Oh God. You know, actually that's the first real steampunk book that I remember reading. I think that's I mean, Gibson for all intents and purposes, kind of jump started the cyberpunk movement and then he jump started the steampunk movement. That's pretty impressive for one guy, you know, it's that's not bad. Yeah, having
0: having <laughs> two subgenres uh go back to you, yeah, I yeah, that seems pretty impressive on paper. Yeah.
2: <laughs> And Difference in June is an awesome book too. That's you ought to do a, a, a show on that sometime because that's a really cool book. And uh, Bruce uh, Bruce Sterling co uh, co wrote it with him, and Sterling does a lot of good stuff too. Um, he was he was a big guy in the cyberpunk movement as well. Very cool.
0: Now, do you have a do you have a favorite character at all from Neuromancer? That's actually a really interesting
1: question. I think I'm gonna go with probably Armitage, but when he's Corto. So I guess
0: corto okay yeah i was i can you can you explain to me a little bit when i was listening to the zion part i was like confused as to what was exactly happening and of course i kept getting flashes of zion from the matrix so it was like what am okay. what's like and I was like, which which part of this is my construct and which is it the actual like this is kind of um, neuromancer esque itself. It's like like how much of this is is a is it a memory of my of mine reconstructed into what I think I'm seeing and and how much is actually what I'm actually seeing. But I think that's a really good question and
1: and probably part of the and and I couldn't I read it on the on the Kindle and I I will tell you that I. This book, because of the way it's written, I would start my mind would start to wander, and I'd start to be thinking about like what he's writing. And I would have flipped two pages and I'd be like, "Wait, what just happened?" And then I would have to go back and reread two pages. I'm, and I know that that it's different doesn't necessarily happen when it's an audiobook. So what I'm actually curious as to sort of how you experience the book listening to it. Um, because I don't necessarily have a good answer to your question, because I'm not necessarily certain if I caught all of the nuances. See, okay, good, good,
0: good. Okay, there was some, there were some scenes where I was like, I know exactly what is happening. This person is talking <laughs> to this person <laughs> in this spot. And then there was other times where I'm like, I think 10 minutes just passed, and I don't know what happened. Like, <laughs> like, like, like there was words, and, they, and I heard them. And I would, like, I would have to like, hit, like, uh, there's like a button on on Audible that lets you go 30 seconds back. So I would, like click it a bunch. I'm like, okay, Wh- what? <laughs> what? <laughs> so, so I was um. like, yeah, I don't know. so yeah, maybe, maybe you, maybe, maybe you could set some light
2: onto us. <laughs> Me, you read it ten, 10 times. October. You're the
0: most qualified.
2: I, I did. You know, I did. And you know, what's funny is I would completely forgotten about Zion until you just mentioned it. That's that's where they're up in. They're up in like uh orbit, right? And it's one of the little habitats with the uh the the uh, the, the the crews of guys who work on the basically do all, do all like the orbital stuff. And it's like a little Rastafarian kind of. Kind of thing going on. Is that is that am I, am I remembering that right? I think. Well, some...
0: see, the, I'm not even entirely sure where Zion was, and then I, then in my head I was thinking of the Matrix Zion. I was like, no, that is. I different. know. See, that's what.
2: Uh, see, and and basically you've got to remember. I mean, this is what 80s. So it's like it's probably 20 years before the Matrix was even written. He he really liked um Gibson. Really liked to do multicultural stuff, and and his whole vision of the world was, and and rightly so because it's it's gone this way, is you know, all these cultures are going to kind of blend together. So you'd you'd have, like, Rastafarian, you know, space guys working on. I remember, like, they had, like, the habitat with, like, caulking to, like, seal up the holes in the the habitat and things like that. He has a lot of stuff involving uh, just different cultures. They're all kind of kind of thrown together Um, and, and usually living, like, side by side with each other. But I think Zion was real. I th- I think wasn't like that was one of the places they hid out at or something when they were trying to get up to Crystal Palace. They're trying to they were trying to get up to the station. Yeah, I think so. I think and then it was like the, the the Rasta guys like helped them get up to Crystal Station or something like that, is, if I remember right. I really liked Molly. Well, actually, I liked the dude who uh, was the performance artist that had all the uh, the holographic implants, who turned out to be like a well, I don't want to spoil it, but you know. Yeah, basically the guy that had the holographic implants that was part of their team near the end. And he was like a performer, and he'd use the holographic implants to like create create illusions, basically. And he could you know, basically mess with your your perceptions, and he could kind of screw with your inner ear and do all this other stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was a, just an interesting character from from what he could do. Um, mm-hmm. I loved Molly because Molly was just badass. She's just you know mm-hmm. I um. I really, I I thought Molly was great, and Molly shows up in a couple more of his books. I like the fact that like she had had the got the um uh, the implants on her eyes, and uh, she couldn't cry, she could just spit. <laughs> <laughs> that was just all. Aw- I mean, that was just cool stuff. And uh, at one point near the end, where they're they're having some big fight and everything's going to hell, and Molly's like channeling John Wayne, basically. Molly was pretty awesome. I I, I mean, she's a she's a great action hero. I liked I liked her a lot. And uh, Armitage was cool. It was just interesting that you, when you get the the reveal and you find out that Armitage is, is Kodo, that, that was really kind of neat. And, um, I think that's I'm why so I liked it. like to, it. to
1: watch his like sort of carefully constructed sort of uh, alter ego kind of like fall apart, I think was the yeah, reason why yeah. I really liked
2: him as a character. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, he just, he just kind of cracked up. That, I mean, uh, and it was really cool. Uh, the whole uh, notion that he was kind of being driven sort of by, you know, which gets back to that whole kind of Loa voodoo thing that for some reason, Gibson was really into that. Um, he He liked the whole idea of, you know, the, the computer spirits kind of, you know, interfacing with people and sort of driving them around and stuff. So, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was very cool. And I, I'd actually, I had forgotten about, I forgot about Zion. It, there's a, in one of the short stories, I'm trying to remember which one, but Molly is in that one. And uh, she has to fight these guys up on a big platform. That's like suspended above a, uh, like a, a, a dome city. It's like a geodesic dome or something that they're putting over a city and they never, never quite finished it, but it's like this construction. Crew, cargo, cult kind of thing that's up in the up in the up in the like rafters of the the big dome, and they had this like arena set up. It was almost like a like a wrestling ring kind of, but um, they had uh, set up microphones into like the uh, the shock absorbers that would kind of bounce the floor would like bounce like a like a like a bounce house kinda. Except it was made of like a rusty old metal. And they had all these microphones and stuff wired up to it. And they had a guy who basically was like a DJ who would be up there and like would, would mess and would basically like send the sound through speakers as the two guys were jumping around fighting. I mean you just do cool stuff like that. I I, I and I had never read anything like that before. Phil Molly was pretty cool. And uh I, liked, I can't remember the, I can't remember the illusion guy's name he wasn't he was near the end of the book is when he shows up but he was kind of just interesting because of what he could do I thought it was kind of a neat little technology thing true what I about like, you
1: Ed what was your favorite character
0: see Molly was it was I was it was competing Molly and Linda were competing um possibly okay so I, I listened to this book twice and the first time I didn't quite catch that Linda died and I was like like I thought Molly was Linda at one at the, like on my first listen I was like I was like gosh what? this character is, has so many like such a good backstory and then when I was listening to it the second time I was like oh no 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 that's that's a different <laughs> that's a different person. not to say that Linda doesn't have an interesting backstory and I'm like I I wish she didn't die cuz I liked her I liked I liked what mm-hmm. like I liked what she did for like she she was really the one that got case moving, like, the plot started. Right, so, right. So. Yeah. But, okay, and also, okay, this is kind of unfortunate, but the the, the narrator who was playing, when he was doing Linda, unfortunately, he did this, like, really affected accent for, the, <laughs> for, Lin, for Linda. For Linda. Like, he did, he's a very, he was very good. He did lots of, he did lots of great female and male characters, but for some reason, when he was Linda, it was kind of, his, the voice that he was projected was that of possibly... A drag queen like person,
2: <laughs> and
0: so, so I I kept I kept imagining Linda as this drag queen, but it's like no, the descriptions don't match that. That's just the voice he's using for this person.
2: Wow. So anyway, I mean? I one of the downsides to Audible, if you're listening to it like as a uh, book on tape or something, is depends on who the narrator, or who you who you got reading the book as to whether it's because some of those guys can ruin a good book <laughs> they really can if you get a if you get a bad uh get a bad uh reader it can kind of mess it up
1: i did it, i felt i felt that way about because i listened to uh princess of mars and the voice yeah. on it was just for deja thoris was just a little strange i does i can't even i didn't even think of a better way to put that it was just <laughs> Something about it wasn't right. But then also, too, I'm comparing it to the person who played Deja Torres in the movie because I saw the movie before I read the book. And I think it's very interesting how sort of what you've experienced or things that you've read or cultural perceptions, color, how you perceive a, a work of fiction, whether you hear it or whether you read it and i think that that's something interesting that has kind of poked its head up in, in several of the the stories that we've read thus far
0: well hands yeah. down the the best audiobook that i've listened to because of this podcast was was love minus 80 there there was three narrators on it one for uh mira veronica and the main guy which i'm forgetting his name how do i how do i remember who will? will no like, not I remember will. Th- no not I, will wait what's his name i I remember the two right, side right, wait, wait. characters, but I can't remember the main person, because, you know, that makes sense. No, Will's um, the name of
1: the guy who, like, who wrote the book.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Will McIntosh wrote the book. But, yeah, the, those, the three narrators... Rob, Rob yes. The three it's narrators Rob. were so great. So great. And this guy was good. So, I recommend Audible, who could also sponsor us, if they would like. I'm totally. Not a, I'm not a, we would really like the,
1: the type of thing that Audible would totally
0: sponsor, though, like... It's true. It's true. And
2: should. And should.
0: And, and should. In, in the intro to the book, it talks about how the uh, the USSR was still there and how the USA was, according to the, it, within the realms of this book, was, like, gone. There was, the USA as we know it today was, was, was swept under the rug and it was just a bunch of, like, cities that weren't. Corporations. Yeah. Yeah. So what what was your thoughts on the keeping of the USSR and the losing of the USSA? Or I just doubled the ass on that.
2: Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Just threw a couple extra runs in there. So that's okay. Well, and you know, again, it was, it was really kind of cool because he, he really was kind of like throwing out there that it was going to be this, uh, this corporate nation, you know, you, you, you worked for a certain company and they, they took care of you. Uh, you had a passport to go from one place to another. That was a corporate passport. And I wasn't like, you know, a US passport passporter, it, it was, it was kind of like, it was very postmodern. It, 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 and, and given the time period, you know, you're right. At, you're right at the height of the cold war, pretty much. You're, you're right at the, the point where, you know, you have like flocks of birds, setting off alarms to you know 15 minutes away from nukes flying and stuff like that and that's something else that's really i mean it it's a different mindset now i mean it, growing up in that is it, it really did kind of mess with you and, and uh and there there are some artists that really kind of grabbed that and kind of ran with it uh alan moore watchman there's a lot of, kind of post-modern 80s paranoia kind of cold war tension stuff in that and uh and Gibson definitely had some of that, too. He 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 figured what would happen is people would just be so damn greedy that uh, greed would overtake uh, nationalism. <laughs> you'd end okay. up with just a lot of people, you know, just kind of everybody would work for some company or you'd have people like Molly who, you know, sort of existed in the gray areas and, and did all the dirty work for folks who needed dirty work done. But, you know, kind of, you know, you'd still sort of have your, for lack of a better term, your cowboys. You'd still have... People who sort of like live their lived lives on lived lives on their own terms. And in Gibson's books, those were usually criminals and hackers, like, what do you call them, console cowboys and stuff like that. So uh, Street Samurai and, uh, and that sort of thing. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of it's neat. But, yeah, he, he pretty much completely just – I think a lot of people at that point were thinking that if we lived to the, the 2000s and didn't, like, turn the planet into a you know glowing cinder or something, that would be pretty awesome. So <laughs> – so he was kind of postulating that people would just be greedy and and sort of you know wrapped up in, in material stuff, and that would keep us alive. Which, may yeah, you know, again, maybe he sure he's got something there. He might have something there.
0: It's true, very true. I mean, like I, right now, I like I, I I thought the book was great. I I do think there was a a couple times that I would prefer it was clearer, and I and I know that's p- probably a byproduct of like reading modern fiction and modern fiction is i don't want to say is especially clear but i feel like the like the farther i go back with fiction the less clear it is more more frequently so, mm-hmm. I would have, so i would agree with that yeah it's like that. it's like i don't know it's because it's kind of like like people i don't want to be like people don't have time but like people people don't have time to figure out what you're just trying to say just say it a little
2: or at least, <laughs> like a little a
0: little um, bit a
2: little bit I have guess, you so. read uh have you guys read much uh, Roger Zelazny by any chance? Uh, he wrote the Chronicles of Amber, and uh, that's pretty much his big thing, is Chronicles of Amber. But Zelazny is kind of like that too. Is there are whole pages, and maybe like multiple pages, where you can just like just skip them. <laughs> I mean, he's a great writer, and he's very poetic, and he uses a lot of great descriptor techniques. Beautiful writing but but sometimes you're just like okay just tell me what happened and let me let me get on with the get on with the story and that that seems to be less of uh, the case with uh, well like you said with more contemporary writers you don't, you don't get quite as much of that yeah it's
0: it's it's all about being in medias res which i'm sure there's someone throwing their ipod out of a window right now because i'm sure they've overheard that phrase <laughs> <laughs> like like i know i know in medias res i know <laughs> but i don't know it's it's just it's i don't I, like, I don't know like it's it's more of a change in what we we like i do think it's a byproduct of like availability with reading and yeah like since you don't since we don't quite have on like in some ways we have the time but there's just so many things to do and it's so it's so easy to do to do lots of things that you're like that reading reading like just just sitting down and reading is kind of a difficult thing to have happen like i've been doing like the audible at the gym is like a good place for me to do that so or like when i was driving before this when i was driving an hour to and from work that's another place a great place to do audible so it's so it's like all of a sudden it shifts from being the focus of something that that it might have been in like early in 1900s and earlier to where it's like oh it's Reading is the side thing to other things that we're doing. At least I love the fact that we uh, were you. reading to
1: like the nineteen hundred. <laughs> 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 um, I'm, I'm a well, person I'm... who likes true I, I have just gotten to the point where I will read on the Kindle and it's really only because I'm cheap and Kindle books are cheaper than paper bag books and I want to save a tree or two but I haven't gotten to the point where because I, I did I read Princess of Mars for a little bit and then I started listening to it because the late lang- I don't know something about the language made it difficult to read uh, but I haven't gotten to the point where I listen to books while I do other things Now I listen to a podcast all day long but for some reason i need to pay more attention with books like especially books for this because y'all are actually going to expect me to speak like i understood what was going on so therefore i really need to like process and understand at least the majority of what's happening
2: i i suck at multitasking i I wish i could you know i've got friends who can read a book on you know you know basically on their kindle or whatever uh while they're doing something on their laptop and watching a tv show or something well, i can't do that you're, <laughs> you're, <laughs> make, you're, making right decision.
0: you're making the right decision because i believe there i saw a study maybe a year and a half ago that multitasking has been linked to uh getting uh, acquiring alzheimer's later in life so i'm pretty much guaranteed i'm pretty much guaranteed
2: well i've already i'm pretty much on my way to that anyway, so it's all good but um i uh i you know one of the things that is interesting you're talking about you know further back you go the more kind of indeed may not have detail that's not really fair to contemporary folks but I think that the further back you go like you were saying is that was reading was more of a primary entertainment medium yeah
0: like There's reading was like, the television so you're, you're
2: trying to paint a, and so you're, you're trying to basically like paint these these, you know, kind of word pictures and stuff and, 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 you know, build this kind of very elaborate sort of, you know, I really enjoy the three musketeers. I love that book, but it took me about a hundred pages before I could get into the language. Um, I had to kind of like always go like through a little, like a little immersive thing and, and sort of just tough it out. But once I got into it, I really enjoyed that book a lot. And I've, I've enjoyed, um, that's uh, it's Dumas, I think. Yeah. Um I've mean, I enjoyed some of the other books, but it just it, sometimes with the language, it takes a while to kind of. I mean, even with even with stuff like you go back to this, like the seventies, like Dune. You know, Dune, you have to like pretty much learn a new freaking you know vocabulary. Uh, Clockwork Orange is like that. The, the uh, Burgess, uh, Clockwork oh, Orange. Hey, we, did, we did, we Clockwork lexicon. Orange.
0: We did. It's yeah. one of the few books we actually did do. <laughs> we, like it's, it's <laughs> okay, so great. funny. Check.
2: It's, it's a great so book, funny. but it's but you have to, like, learn all these freaking words, and you're going to keep flipping to the back to go, what does this mean? Oh, oh no, no. <laughs> See,
1: there is, there is a Wikipedia page that has the vocabulary, because I got tired of flipping back, so I had my phone with the Wikipedia, like, vocabulary, so I would always just look it up there instead of flipping back to the back of the book.
2: Oh, that's, that's cool. Very cool. And I think a lot of the terms he used were like Russian mobster terms or something. There's some Russian slang or I don't know what it was, but it was, I mean, it was very cool. I mean, I, I like books that will, will kind of like – when when someone takes the time to kind of build a world and they they build their own language and stuff, but you know that does really slow you down when you're trying to read it and uh and kind of absorb it. You have to kind of get into that headspace to to really get to it. I love what you said about that. I referred to
0: it as the 1900s. It's the truth. You did. It's, it's <laughs> in the 1900s. Is it not? May as well be. Yeah. <laughs> it is the 1900s indeed um, I, in, in, yeah, in I, and, then, and then you shouted out dune i'm literally I, I instagrammed a photo of me reading dune earlier this week and i'm literally on page three because i'm like oh god this is kind of, <laughs> dense. This is kind of dense i was like
2: tough I, I, up, i'm tough I'm, it out if you can because the first two or three dune books are pretty awesome the second one i like better than the first one actually I, I hear um, that as long as mean, long
0: as you stay in the in the original trilogy, you will have a good time. That's what I've heard.
2: I would agree. I would absolutely agree. Um, I I bailed at God Emperor of Dune. That's that's when I kind of I, I I was done after that. But I've you know I've got friends who have read the prequel trilogies that Kevin J. Anderson. I think I think Kevin J. Anderson wrote those, which are supposed to be pretty awesome. Yeah, it, it just it, it depends. I mean, if you if some people like um like the foundation trilogy uh asimov i really like the foundation trilogy i read all of well foundation books because was more than just three of them but i got to what i thought was the end of the trilogy or the end of the series there's a thing in the back of the book saying well if you enjoy these wait for the next foundation book and i'm like no i don't read any more of these I, i'm i'm done i'm done so uh, oh, oh,
0: oh aggie <laughs>
2: Okay, I'm not done. I'm not done. Back down, down, boy.
0: <laughs> He's very upset with your choice to <laughs> abandon literature like that. Very
2: upset. Very. I won't abandon Asimov like that. I won't do it. I won't do it. I'll, I'll read all the Dune books. I swear to God, I will.
1: I haven't it. read the books, just but just I did watch the movie. Does that count?
0: How how was how the movie?
2: I hear the movie was a bit of a disaster. So. It's
1: terrible. <laughs> Does not okay. make me want to it's,
0: read the book? It's,
2: it's David Lynch, and you know David Lynch, I think has like. I think his brain like naturally produces acid or something. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. he He's just goofy. He's a this good musician. And I, really, and I like Twin Peaks a lot. I actually enjoy Twin Peaks a whole bunch.
0: Blue Velvet. He's, he's
2: pretty trippy. That's but, a good one. Yeah, Blue Velvet is awesome. That's a great movie. They're, actually, Sci-Fi Channel did a version of Dune, and I think they did a version of Children of Dune, that is supposed to be a lot more uh, true to the book and not quite as uh, freaky as... <laughs> uh David Lynch's Dune. So might want to check those out. Okay. I was reading on the
0: Wikipedia page that they are discussing making a film adaptation of Neuromancer, and I feel I feel bad if yes. it does actually happen because you know what's going to happen is people are going to be like, "This is like the makers comparisons." Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know, but I'm like, but it's not stealing. It's the other way around. It's the other way around. <laughs> but it just appears if you were just if you were just a movie person. <laughs> you wouldn't know that it was mm-hmm. the way it happened. The Matrix couldn't be what The Matrix was without Neuromancer.
2: Fact. Hashtag true. Fact. true. I mean, yeah, but like you're saying now, it's like someone would watch and go, oh, this is just a really bad ripoff of The Matrix. And, you know, because Matrix got into the cultural... Actually, from what I was was reading today, I it might have been on Wikipedia, uh, uh, Neuromancer was kind of like... It wasn't that huge a commercial success, but it, it did okay. But I don't think it did as... It kind of got spread around by word of mouth. People kept going, oh, this is an awesome book. You got to check this out. I don't think as many people realize that the, the cultural influence that it had, which is why it's cool you guys are doing this, because people can hear this and they'll go, oh, wow, I should check that out. Because it, it really is. A, I mean, it held it's held up pretty well. Like you said, it, it's it got the, it, you will compare it to The Matrix because The Matrix, you know, kind of tapped into that big time culturally. But it's a very cool book. Speaking and of worth, The Matrix. I would highly recommend it.
1: Speaking of The Matrix, you know, The Matrix starred Keanu Reeves, who also starred in Johnny Mnemonic, written by
2: William Gibson. William Gibson. Yep. That's the, actually, the, that's the other short story Molly shows up in. Oh, She's okay. in that story. I haven't seen the Along movie, with a but dolphin. I, I, I feel like I need to. They have, a, they have a dolphin junkie in there. He's He's got, like, implants in his head. He was, like, pretty much trained by the uh by the navy to be like a like a submarine diving submarine finding dolphin or something and uh, or torpedo finding dolphin i think and he's he's intelligent he can talk through like a speaker and stuff in his tank and he's a junkie he they've addicted him to heroin so um
1: oh
2: yeah so it's a it's a junkie dolphin cyber guy cyber fish so (laughs) mammal whatever he is that's a, that's a cool that's a cool story. I uh, I I only saw a little bit of the movie and it, it looked kind of kind of bad.
1: I mean, it's got Keanu Reeves, <laughs> Dolph look- Lundgren, and Ice T in it. Like, it sounds amazing, and when I say amazing, I mean horrific.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, I will I will have to give it. Yeah, I'm sure it's on Netflix. It's got to be on Netflix. It's got to be. It's got Netflix. I Maybe we watch. should we yeah. should do a
1: podcast about Johnny Mnemonic the movie.
2: Okay, that could yeah. happen. Why I me? Mean, hey, we why were, we're totally,
1: We were gonna do Catching Fire, right? And
0: yeah, never we were. I know it didn't happen, but Catching it Fire was happen. awesome. You should go it see it.
1: Awesome. It, was totally
2: it
0: was awesome. It was totally awesome. It was
2: awesome. I, I, I um, went and saw it with my daughter. Do- my, do- my daughter and I went to see it. She was really into those books, and she's really into the movies. And uh, it, it was a really good movie. I, I mean, she loved it. I loved it. It was, it was very cool.
0: I went I went and see, since we haven't had an Emily reference this episode, uh, I went and saw Catching Fire with Emily, and then I was like, I have, because I read the first book, and I never read the second book, so then she gave me, she gave me her copy of Catching Fire, and and it's sitting next to me, and I have not read it still because I'm like, well, oh, but I already, saw the- I already saw the movie. I already saw the movie. so I feel tainted, and I've been, and I'm busy. I'm busy uh reading Neuromancer. So that that was another thing that was happening. If so. I could
1: take a moment to plug another completely unrelated but fun movie, uh, the Lego Movie is awesome. It sounds silly, but oh my god, it is hilarious. It's so good. Anyway, so Lego Movie, Lego Movie, Catching Fire. Go see them if you haven't.
0: Faithful when when, when did when they release the Lego version of the Hunger Games? Ooh. <laughs> I'm just joking. but but
2: There would be some awesome Lego sets right there. They're going to have the, you know,
0: that the, would be the
2: fun. Fog Lego oh, set.
0: Oh, yeah, it would be, be cool because of the Biodome. Like, like Lego Biodome? That's Hello, I want to hey. buy that. I mean, why wouldn't you want to buy that? I don't have a good reason yeah like, like there's no there's no good like reason whole, for you
2: they could have like a whole literary set of legos you know like you know clockwork orange lego sets and uh well, i don't know i robot i robot. twilight they could have twilight uh lego sets
0: i'm surprised, I'd well... be
2: surprised that they didn't have twilight lego sets i really have Did... two actually that's they, they, they the only product they didn't uh
0: yeah that's like the one thing they didn't get into like no no they're twilight legos <laughs> okay good thank goodness there is oh a God. there is something
1: <laughs>
2: what a relief <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was close that was close guys um so we have.
1: wait no i think they were actually made by people i don't think they oh, were actually okay.
2: made uh, by by lego the themselves. lego company well they missed an opportunity there because yeah, you profit. can you
1: can custom make legos and someone has custom made you can buy custom uh, edward and bella on ebay for 24 dollars
2: oh very nice so I'm nice. there. I'm there. Yeah. All right. I'll put them on my desk, and they can inspire me.
0: Oh, every <laughs> every single day. Um, we have upcoming on the podcast. We're going to be doing next month. We're going to be doing Zoo City, which I'm very excited about. We haven't done a fantasy in a while. In a while, we've been teen sci-fi for a little bit now, Tiffany. I don't know if you it's noticed. True. It's so, true. So I'm I'm excited. For Zoo City, I'm actually I'm, really excited about Zoo City. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for What's, a. Uh, what is
2: it about?
0: I, I don't entirely know, but I know it's set in South Africa, and I know it's a uh black female protagonist, and that's, and I know it's urban fantasy. That's what I know, and I know Wait, it's good. You picked the book. I did. Oh, okay, okay. I picked the book, but I don't, I don't, I did, I don't know the specifics of it, but I've heard from many people that it's fantastic. So I'm like, well, I mean, if it's, if everyone tells me it's fantastic. And then that's gonna be fantastic. Hopefully, ideally, unless absolutely.
1: Yes. All right. Well, I'm on so, board. Sweet.
0: And then and then we're doing. And I saw as I was going through the bookstore yesterday, I saw Legend by Marie Lou on the shelf. Did I was you? Like, oh, okay. Do I want to buy it? No, I'll no. probably do it on Audible. <laughs> 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 but I did see it. I was like, oh, that book. We're doing that book soon. Yep. And then um, I'll, I'll have to talk to Shira <laughs> about what she would like and. What's going on with that? Uh, she was gonna come today, but she got called into work, which is unfortunate. One day she will join us. One okay, day Okay, great. One day. Which it's, it's very it's very like hypothetically she will join us. And then I'm um I'm hoping I wanna talk with Tiffany about this later about but I'm hoping that we do more uh can start doing shows a bit more regularly with short fiction. Which I guess I kinda sure. said it. Okay. Good. We could. Well, then I, there you go. We talked about. It. We talked about it. See, isn't it great? It's so. It's great when you do it on air, so that like, like you, you have to do and, it. Like, You're you stuck to. Have... You
1: promise the. You promise the listeners that it's going to happen, so it's going to happen.
0: Yeah, like I feel like for this for the show, it would be beneficial if we had more episodes. So it if and reading one book a month is kind of already a commitment. So I feel like if we if we could if we could like verge into more short fiction for more episodes, that'd be awesome. Ideally, in my head, and but thank you so much for coming on, Rod. I did not. I did not call you the other oh. name. purposely. <laughs> I was because I felt I, <laughs> I, I felt a little guilty because you're like, why are you calling me that? That should not be named. Oh
2: no, no. Yes, I'm like Voldemort. I'm the the guest Voldemort. Voldemort on the show here. So. Yes. Well, thank you for having me guys. I had I had a lot of fun. Uh I would love to come back anytime you would I'm, care to have me. I
0: I can almost um, guarantee that you'll be back at some yes. point. Yes. <laughs> I can almost guarantee it. well Thank you. You're going to be our first so much. Um you're going to be our first three peter. But if, because well, you're already our first repeater, but you're gonna be our first repeater for sure.
2: Awesome, very cool. Oh, I was gonna recommend a author. Have you guys uh, read any or done anything with Octavia uh, Octavia Butler? I
0: I know that name, and she's oh. she. I've heard, Octavia Butler wrote the book that people say that Avatar is vaguely inspired by. Right? Am I correct?
2: She's written a lot of um, just really good. And it's science fiction, so you may want to kind of veer away from it for a little while. But kind of, I try to unfair to say feminist science fiction because that's really not. But just uh, she she writes a lot of science fiction that's not really kind of conventional <coughs> science fiction as far as like gender roles and and also kind of like racial stuff too. She when you were mentioning the the fantasy you guys are, are talking about doing next, that made me think of Octavia Octavia Butler because it sounds like something almost that she would write. So that might be something to check out she, she's a really good author uh highly recommend her stuff and just very cool and kind of off the beaten path she's not it's not the same old thing so i'd, I'd really recommend it down the road somewhere but uh thank you guys for having me i have to go well, get I mean, my daughter you,
0: you have to you, have to, <laughs> and, you uh, know octavia is awesome because at the bottom of her page of her wikipedia page it links to afrofuturism so yeah as, as a as a related page so, so i don't even I know mean, what that like, means <laughs> If you if you if your if, um, if your Wikipedia is linked to something that exciting sounding that you, you have you had to kind of be awesome, right? Yeah,
1: so here's what we'll cool. do, Rod. We'll do something by Octav- Octavia Butler, and then you'll have to come back and talk with us.
2: It's true. I would love that. I would love that. I, you guys are. I really enjoy doing this. It's a lot of fun, and thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to to come and hang no, out. No, thank
0: and, you. And, you're, and you, are, you. You you were you you. You, you listened to our show and you didn't think we were crazy. <laughs> well, or of you did, but you still contacted us regardless.
2: Ooh, so. Real quick before no, you I, go,
1: I, real quick before you go, tell everybody where they can find you online.
2: Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, I am on my, my website is uh, six dot I am on Facebook under uh, author RS Belcher. Um, there's also a six gun tarot Facebook page and a shotgun arcana page. Uh, please, please, please like those if you get a chance. And uh, I think that. Oh, and I'm on Twitter at uh, author rs belcher. And I, I guess it'd be at author rs belcher. Yeah, I think that's everything. I think, I think that's everything. I'm. I'm still. Uh, I. I tend to my my website. I'm. I'm a little behind and kind of updating that. So my agent got onto me about that the other day, and I need to. By the other day, I mean about three months ago. But <laughs> I need to get that <laughs> kind of squared away. But. um but yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Uh, the book I have out now is called The Six-Gun Tarot. Uh, it is uh, published by Tor Books. The mass-market paperback of the book is coming out uh, March 25th. Go to your local bookstore and demand that they, they have it there and threaten to burn this place down if they don't. I'm only half kidding. That's pretty much it. I get, I get, I get next my, my next big thing is going to be in October when the sequel comes out very so, excited. Thank you for well, yeah, let me you, plug all that stuff. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. So it's
0: awesome. I I'm it's like so it's so great that you come on and I hope I hope you get even like a few more readers because of this. Or maybe, maybe maybe Oh, I
2: you know, even if I even if I don't I just I very much enjoy doing this. It's a lot of fun and you guys are awesome. So, keep on doing it, man. Keep on going. I'm going to go get my daughter <laughs> yes, yes, she's probably like crying somewhere. Where? No, is, yeah, she is. She's, eh, you know, yeah, whatever. She'll, you know, she. I'm sure she'll be fine, probably. But you know, I, I better go get her. And, uh, but, uh, guys, thank you so much again for having me. Really do appreciate it. Thank, thank you. For uh, we'll talk. To you.
0: On. Yeah, thank you. We'll talk to you again. See you later. All right. So, Tiffany, you work in, like, food, hospitality, tourism stuff, correct? That's correct. Sort of. Yeah, okay. yeah. C- c- can you discuss the importance of garnishing a plate?
1: <laughs> um, well, the first... Um, the first rule of garnishing a plate is to don't put anything on the plate that people can't eat. Like, I hate curly parsley. It's stupid and it doesn't taste good. So don't put it on your plate. Like, it's dumb. Don't put, like, anything inedible on your plate. And um, th- one time I got a dessert. It was a banana dessert. and It had, like, a piece of a banana peel on the plate. Don't do that. I, I can't eat that. That's disgusting. So mm-hmm. um, less is more. And make sure everything on the plate is
0: going to make the food tastier. That makes sense. I um, I put a lot... So I made Emily came over, and we did we did very pro typical male and female things. She okay. she put together my desk and my television bookcase, <laughs> and I cooked curry for her. So fabulous. Very very uh, very traditional and. As I was putting it together, she was like almost done with putting together the bookcase television unit, and she's like, "Are you gonna help me? You're Ed. You're just garnishing." <laughs> he was like, "You're just garnishing right now." <laughs> 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 so I was put, I put. So I put. I put a lime slice and some. Um, basil the my curry no lime so. slices
1: are perfectly fine because the idea is you squeeze the lime juice on the food like lime slices lemon slices citrus slices are great because if you're if you're dumb enough to try to eat the peel you're stupid like citrus slices are awesome so do you make like a like a yellow curry or like a thai curry like an indian curry what's your, uh, what's
0: your curry i curry? i this this was more of a thai curry i put i had green onions and i put the red curry paste and i put it with coconut milk and then i let that um let that coalesce and then once that once that all gets together then i put rice like some jasmine rice in there and then i like as the, the jasmine rice absorbs the 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 sauce as opposed to having the sauce on top it's like integrated with the rice
1: interesting that's different okay
0: oh and i also put i also put up uh, a bunch of pineapple juice in there too because i was like why not i uh, yolo yolo
1: of course was YOLO it
0: delicious oh uh, it was fantastic i'm I've been eating it for the the I only know how to cook one amount of things and that's ridiculous. A, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't like I don't even understand like how to... like if someone's like, Ed, just cook cook for just say, I'm like, I don't I don't even know how. I could cook I cook for like a week. I could do that pretty well. Like I feel ridiculous. I feel you like my i ordered i, I have an amazon wishlist so if anybody
1: ever wants to buy me a present i have an amazon wishlist and my mother tried to order me a book that i had on my amazon wishlist for christmas and it was eating well for two and it was like teaching you how to make two portions of a meal but they were out of stock and i never got it so... <laughs> but you know, i do I saw, I have, the same, I have the same problem
0: i saw i saw the i saw a book like that at barnes and noble i was like i was um there was, like, Eat Well for, or Eat eat for Two, or Cooking for Two, and then I was reading this book called Clean Start, and it was interesting, like, I was, like, perusing through the stuff, I was like, this is kind of, like, stuff that I almost do already, like, I, like, it was, like, all about, like, focusing on fresh herbs and fresh ingredients and, like, like balancing spicy and sweet and savory. I'm like, that's, I already think about that when I put together dishes. <laughs> but I, I guess, I guess it's legitimate. I mean, I guess it legitimized my theories on cooking food. Like, you want to hit as many S's as you can. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's all about. And, you know, my, my pet peeve with cupcakes, I've been having very good cupcakes lately, but it's because. They they've been good because they're not like I hate when icing is just too sweet. I love I like a good like savory type of icing, and that and the icing makes the cupcake work in my in my mind.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, and there's this um ch- we have a we have a chain in Memphis. It's a, it's a national chain. Um, I won't mention it by name, but now I'm a frosting girl. Like I like ooh, frosting, and I like lots of it. But literally, the frosting on these cupcakes are as tall as a cupcake. It is too it is too much. And it has to be too much for me because I have a huge sweet tooth. Um, it's just too much. Um, so it need, there needs to not only does the frosting need to be just sweet enough, but not too sweet, but it also needs to have the right frosting to
0: cake ratio. Frosting to cake ratio. That's real life right there. Real life.